You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick old trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble on the drum and kick all trouble out the door beat me that rhythm on the drum beat me that rhythm on the drum beat me that rhythm on the drum and kick all trouble out the door kick him out the Here we are, Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. If the local drug dealer knocks on your door for a cup of sugar for your meth lab, relax. The program is podcast. You can access it by going to 3cr.org.au. Kelly Whitworth, the world's greatest and only producer who would actually... (laughs) dare to work with me is here. How are you, Kelly? I'm very well, Joe. How are you? Good. I heard that uh, you kind of, um, your Snowtown barrel, you've kind of changed it. What do you mean? Well, you've got a, you've got a West Papuan barrel these days. Oh, yeah, the last couple of weeks we have, yeah. yeah. It's one, always one of those on the side. On the side. Of the, of the Snowtown barrel. <laughs> on the side. So <laughs> who have we pulled out this today? Uh, we've got Michael Bible. Oh, that's interesting. Hello, Michael. Good afternoon, Joe. Uh, you can say hello to Kelly. And good hey, afternoon, Michael. Kelly. Thanks for joining us. It's a, we're very pleased for you to be here. It's my well, pleasure to be here. She's pleased. Oh dear. I don't know if I'm pleased, <laughs> but she's pleased. And mm-hmm. if the producer's pleased, everybody's pleased. Now, Michael, look, let's get rid of the uh, business segment first. Now, the main reason you're here is because we want to learn about you, mm-hmm. but I understand that you're involved with the West Papuan office here at uh, Docklands 838 Collins Street. Mm-hmm. So if you love the interview or that you hate the interview, it doesn't matter. But if you want to meet Michael, he'll be there at 1pm on Sunday, the 11th of September, which is this Sunday at 838 Collins Street, Docklands. Obviously, as we... Meander through your life story, we will find out why you're wasting your time with these people. Now, Michael, yes. what year were you born? 1967. You look as if you're going to get the cuts at school. I'm used to that. You're used to that. <laughs> well, the cuts, it is. Isn't it? The cuts. You wouldn't have got the cuts when, when you went to school, would you? I went to a Catholic school. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> any, any, any scars left on your buttocks? Uh, um, I'd rather not think about it. All right, okay. All right, so <laughs> what year were you born again? 1967. 67, there's something. Ah, yeah. oh, you were born the year before 68. Uh-huh. And what was famous about 68? I'm not, I'm all, 
the, the year of Western European Youth Revolution, Paris 68, okay. Yugoslavia 68, mm. you know, where capitalism and communism was both held up to ridicule by the younger generation. So I you pa- that. Well, you were one. So were you born in Australia? Yep. Where? Manly, in Sydney. Not actually Manly. You would have been born in a hospital, wouldn't you? Manly Hospital. Manly Hospital, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it a Manly place? Manly? Uh, because. Is Manly a manly place? Um, uh, it's arguable. Arguable. <laughs> right. So uh, how many years did you waste in Manly? Um, ooh, we were there for, I think we were there for next 67, yeah. about 1973. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something, Michael. This is a live interview. Right. It's not pre-recorded. Right. You got to, You can't think on your feet, mate. If you're bad at maths, just fudge it. All right. Nineteen seventy-three. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody will notice. Mm. So you had a bit of time at primary school there or preschool? Um, no, actually, I think we moved out of uh, Sydney after my father retired from, from being an engineer. We moved to a place called Wagga Wagga, ah, and I started Wagga. my um, primary school or pre, well, yeah, primary school days there. What what does it mean, Wagga Wagga? Land of many crows. Yeah, yeah, Wagga. But the thing is, there is a, a debate whether it's Wagga or Wagga Wagga, isn't there? Um, no. <laughs> not really. No. Not really. Look, just feel free to humiliate me. That's all right. Give me time. Yeah, I, it just, I know you're at a disadvantage because I'm sitting in the studio with the world's greatest producer talking mm-hmm. to you. You feel as if you're being grilled. Which you're not, mm-hmm. and you don't know where the questions are coming from. You don't know what idiot this idiot's going to ask you. So relax. Okay. So was it a Catholic school? Oh yes, um, mm. it was a, a nuns. Nuns. My, my first experience. Yeah. Right. Excuse me. Oh, Would you like to clarify that? Uh, we, uh, of, of, of the education system. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. For a minute. <laughs> well, you know. You're the one that went there. <laughs> no, you're the one who's gone there. I was. I was just meant. I didn't mean anything. You're the one who thought about it because you're young and vibrant, Kelly. That's the problem. Full of hormones. You know, I'm dried out and old. Those things don't interest me. And they, don't interest, they would interest Michael. Now, <laughs> going back, mm-hmm. are your parents still alive? Uh, no. Well, well, no, you... my, my mother is, my father isn't. Right. Could you... <laughs> that was a bit of a worry there. When I said, are your parents still alive? And you said, no. Then you said, your mother's still alive. Hopefully she's not listening to the interview. Well, I didn't clarify. Yeah, I sort of, <laughs> I sort of jumped the gun a bit there. But yeah. Yeah, no, no, my father passed away in 1977. Right. Well, you, you were relatively young then when he died. Oh. You were 10, weren't you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how hard was that? Uh, very. Mm. Mm. Did you have any brothers and sisters? I have three sisters. Right. And they were younger or older? I have one younger and two older. So... Your mum had four kids, mm-hmm. and her husband died when you were ten. Mm-hmm. So that's so. I assume all the kids are under fifteen at that stage, something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, I think my eldest sister was around fifteen, sixteen. Bridget, right. the one above me, would have. She's only a year and a half above me, and then yeah. George, there's Georgina, yes. who's a couple of years younger than me. So, so did he die yeah. unexpectedly? Do you know? Or? It was quite happened very quickly. You right, know, right. He had a coronary. So. He had a coronary. Mm. Very common in those days. Very common. 
Yeah, I suppose being in a in a regional country town didn't help for the, like the type of care he received. But uh, right, it, yeah, it was a tough period of time. It would have been very tough because it, unless there was finance, he didn't have any insurance or anything, did he? Um, not that I'm aware of. No, but, in those um, days you didn't. Um, no, but that wasn't really a problem for the family, that sort of thing. But oh, what do you mean? Were you rich? <laughs> it wasn't uh, a no, problem. We, when Dad retired, he um, bought a country pub, so we had this rather large country pub. And um, Excuse me. Your mum's running a large country pub with four kids under 16, mm-hmm. and three of them are girls. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit worried. <laughs> Yeah. Well, were you the bouncer or something? No, I was um, no more just a young hooligan, right? Like running around Wagga Wagga um, with my ponies and um, ponies. Yeah, you know, my horses. Our horses. We're a sort of horsey family, right? Right. And uh, sort of tormenting the nuns and then the brothers that came next. And uh, right, right. Yeah. Was, it, was this at high school? The brothers or your primary school? You're tormenting them? Oh no, the, well, yeah. First, at first, yes. At first, but then you. Sort of went up to the next level. There was, there was, yeah, brothers. Brothers. They were uh, Christian brothers, apparently. Christian. <laughs> I've got to ask you about your religious beliefs later on, but mm-hmm. I'm a bit concerned that uh, you may say negative things about the poor Christian brothers. They've got enough bad publicity without you adding it to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, now, be care- I'll be careful then. All right. So at high school, did mm. you notice that you were? Kind of had a proficiency or in anything or uh, I was actually terrible at school. Terrible. Yeah, I um, I used to start quite badly, and uh, that right. that uh, didn't help my sort of education sort mm. of very much. And but what I did find I was quite good at was sport, right. and so where, that's where I sort of excelled and found that I didn't really start when I was on the when I was on the sporting field or. And so that was where yeah life was was a sort of a pleasant experience rather than the whole. You know, twelve years of education, right? Mm. But the thing, the thing is, you know, if you're good at sport, especially in a regional area and the local teams, people follow the local teams. You would have fitted in very nicely. Oh, especially in Wagga Wagga, it's it's just it was it's a back in the day it was a, just a hub of of of, of, of bringing up great of a, some sort of a crash of sports people, mm-hmm. and all the different games were played there. Um, I played Australian rules back then, and, and all the rest of it mainly. But uh, no, I was just uh, yeah. Academically, I didn't hit my straps till later in life. But uh, but at school was not uh, a fun thing for me. I'm I'm, I'm a bit concerned. Mm. You're living in New South Wales. Mm. This what you've been at high school what, in the nineties, mid nineties or something. No, I finished in eighty four. Eighty four, mm. and and you see, his maths is better than mine. I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Had to be there. And you're playing AFL. In Wagga Wagga, that's strange, oh, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very big um, AFL um, city. Really? Mm. And yeah. then when we moved back to Sydney, I played rugby union. So, right. oh, that's better. Mm. Oh, I feel better. <laughs> I feel better now. I mean, the fact that you were playing AFL in Wagga Wagga in the early eighties is is quite dramatic as far as I'm concerned. Did you have much contact with the local Indigenous people or um, First Nations people in Wagga Wagga in those days? Uh, I, I didn't know they existed. Didn't know they existed? I went to a... No, I, I was ignorant completely. Right, right. Now, as you grew up, did you, your mum still ran the pub or did you get rid of the pub? Uh, we got rid of the pub about 1979 and right. moved back to Sydney. Right, not mm. back to Manly. Uh, no, sort of up in North Shore, Sydney. Oh, that's even better. It was all right. Yeah. What do you mean it's all right? Up in North Shore? Up in North Shore? <laughs> <laughs> it's not lower North Shore or North Shore. 
No, it was just a, 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 yeah, a, a geographical place. You know. what, 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 a three-bedroom brick video or something? Something like that, yeah. Uh, 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 so here you are, you're what, 17? You finished high school? You're a middle-level sports person? Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens? You're great. 84? I mean, uh, I finished in 84, then I played a bit of cult rugby, then I tore my interior cruciate quite hang, badly. Hang, hang on. Cult Rugby, what's that? Um, sort of, uh, sort of juniors. Ah, oh, right, right, right. Um, outside of school, and I had mm. a really, really bad knee injury, and uh, right. So I had a bit of a uh, career change. A career change. Mm. Well, it happens to most sports people. Is it one in a thousand makes it usually? Isn't it? That's the that's um, the statistics. Yeah, if that, if that, if that, yeah. yeah. So did you actually have surgery on your knee, or did just have yeah, to... had to be re-knitted and oh. yeah, quite some time in a cast and all the rest of it. Yeah, so. That would have been pretty experimental surgery in those days. I mean, cruciate li- was a cruciate ligament, or I didn't ask that sort of yeah. question. I no, just, you just got it fixed. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I remember I uh, when I first started orthopedics must have been seventy six or seventy seven. I was the resident, and uh, that type of surgery in those Ooh. days was top-notch type of surgery was new type of surgery mm. okay. so you're a experiment done well <laughs> you actually walked in with, without a crutch which is good i know i was on crutches when i walked in i think i was actually on, on a stretcher when i was carried in there now i'm talking about when you walked to the studio oh right no, no 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 i'm quite able-bodied now but <laughs> yeah. um yeah sort of aches occasionally right right okay. all right so here you are you had this professional career as a rugby union player destroyed <laughs> so what does a uh, semi-professional rugby union player when the player do? Uh, well, I ended up um, meeting some people who worked in music and then I sort What? Of, yeah. The M word? Yeah. On this program? Music. Yeah. Music? Yeah, and I sort of... What, uh, where, where did all this come from? I thought you were just a, a sporting jock. Oh, no, then I moved. I sort of moved into inner city Sydney and lived in Newtown and around that part of the world. And, you weren't squatting in the old church there? Uh, no, we had a place in Horton Street just off King Street and uh-huh, I just uh-huh. met people and... Just ended up, yeah, doing lighting and sound for people for, for a few years. And why? Because uh, I like music a lot. You like music a lot. Yeah. When did all this disease start? I think back with um, sort of ACDC in the suite and Kiss back in the seventies. Um, Kiss and Kiss. Joe doesn't know any of those. Led Zeppelin perhaps. Doesn't or, know anything about um, music. No, Dylan never heard of him. Uh, re- yeah. Regional Wagga was very big on Led Zeppelin. So. Were they? Mm. I can understand why. Mm. It is Regional Wagga, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the listeners out there who come from Regional Wagga. So, how did you get into the sound? Did you just self-taught or what? Um, yeah, sort of small independent bands where you start right. off with just you know mm-hmm. with, with basically nothing. Things you put together yourself, basically build your own. Yeah, sort of yeah. get a half a dozen cans and plug them into the light board, and off you go. Yeah. So you were part yeah. of the DIO f- f- craze at that particular point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You know. DIY. Yeah. <laughs> DIO. Do your own. <laughs> Pretty much. Do your own. Do your own. That's the way. You got to. You got to mutilate the language mm. so that people understand. DIY. What does that stand for? Do it yourself, mate. <laughs> Do it yourself. Oh, I can't even bloody spell these people. All right. Well, it doesn't seem to be much of a career choice, mate. Kind of doing voluntary work for, you know, pathetic uh, little groups. Oh, it sort of got a bit better occasionally. You know, uh, what do you mean? Occasionally got paid and. Uh huh. What, in beer? 
oh, there was riders, there was always a rider, maybe the odd, you know, slab of VB or something like <laughs> yeah, that, and, right. et cetera. And, um, but yeah, occasionally got a pr- properly paid gig, and yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't all that bad. Well, was your mother ringing you up and saying, when, <laughs> when are you going to grow up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it was that, and your father would be ashamed of you all that sort of crap. Right, you got that too. <laughs> now bringing up the dead. Oh, that is. That's, oh, yeah, that's yeah. a serious talking Le- to, Michael. Leverage, you know. That is a very serious talking to. Obviously, mm. she was concerned you were going off the rails. Um, I think it was more about what she could tell her own friends. But anyway, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, he's a DIY, <laughs> not a DYO. <laughs> Uh, tell her friends, yeah, and they say, oh, my son's a doctor, my son's studying anthropology, my son's doing this, and my mm. son's an archaeologist. And what's your son doing? Reminds me of the old matzah joke. Mm. Have you heard of the matzah joke? Mm. Matzah bread? No. Yeah, it's no. a Jewish flat bread. I think it's called matzah. Most likely I've mangled it. And it's a very sick joke. It came out during the AIDS period in the 80s. There's two... Okay. two, two, two Jewish mothers meet in the supermarket and, and one says, oh, how's your son? He says, oh, he's doing very well at medical school. He'll graduate in 12 months. And she said, how's your son? He said, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's in his room all the time. And she said, why? Oh, we can't go in. We just put matzo bread under the, uh, under the door every day. <laughs> it's not funny, I know. But I get it. it. Well, AIDS in those days was the disease you never spoke about. Oh, that's got nothing to do with this story. I know. No, it has. Can I ask a question of Michael? No. Please, please do. I was curious to know, so you're the only boy Mm -hmm. amongst three girls. Mm -hmm. Did you have particular pressures as a son, do you think, compared to the girls? Um. Not particularly. Um, okay, that died on its bum, didn't it? Well, I think I think there was expectations, but I just at that period of time didn't didn't live up to them. Uh, so there but, were expectations. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, my father was a smart, you know, man who, who accomplished quite a bit and all the rest of it. So mum had sort of expectations of a son like any mother would. Yeah. And I, even though I was oak reasonable at you know, a few, you know, sport academically, I didn't hit the straps. And uh, so yeah, that was a bit and. Sent to a good school and all the rest of it, and uh, yeah, he just didn't pay dividends at the time. So, um, but yeah, you know, that wasn't my problem. I was just, you know, dealing with life on, on my own terms, and you know, I just I wasn't really that worried. You, you realise, Michael, he's going to send you a bill for that psych- psychological insight into your life. <laughs> you know, she thinks you're a psychologist. You do. <laughs> I know I am. There's a difference. You think. Uh, you have to move past your bad joke and um Yeah, you helped me going. there. So you see see that was the way it works, see. I just did a bad joke which nobody got. I didn't actually want to do the whole joke because I remembered it and it wasn't very nice, so I fudged it. So Kelly came in to save me. Um thank you, Kelly. That was very kind of you. You're welcome. Yeah. That's what a producer's for, to make you look good when you're bad. <laughs> so when did this period finish? Um we don't got electrocuted really badly. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it. I was working for this particular band. They were actually called the Meatloaf Bad Out of Hell Experience. And it was a really, really paid, well-paid gig, actually. Right, right. And uh, somewhere out in the Sydney Western Suburbs, and um, and I was the gig had finished, and there was about four or 5,000 people there, and I was up, up in the gantry pulling down my lighting rig. Right, right. An 80-can light show that we had at the time, and basically got hit by a three-phase three power shock. 
and went straight through me and I got shot out of the roof and landed on the dance floor and smashed my wrists in three or four places and yeah, that was the end of my rock and roll days. But your heart didn't stop, fortunately. No, that's what the doctors were very surprised about when they went <laughs> yeah. and put me on an ECG and they got yeah. like, a, you yeah. know, like a Himalaya thing going yeah. through your chest and yeah. they just don't understand why my whole chest didn't explode. Exactly. And, exactly. Um, it must have been something you were hanging on to in the gantry. Uh, well, I had my balance and then I just went yeah. to a G-clamp and yeah. that yeah. yeah. completed the circuit. That's what saved you. And yeah, yeah it just went straight through me rather yeah. than stopping with me. Yeah, yeah. and um, maybe my Doc Martens helped as well. I'm not sure. But no. <laughs> no, I think the fact that you no that that that, that is an extraordinary story. I mean, because life is luck, isn't it? Really, um, you could have died that day well, if you hadn't had your hand on the gantry. Your chest would have, your heart would have exploded, and you would have just apparently been, so, a bit of charcoal yeah. on the ground, basically. Mm, yep. And uh, yeah. you had your hand there, and bingo, it just went straight through you. Yeah, there's a little burn on my left. Index finger, yeah, and that was really yeah, it, apart from all my yeah, torn hamstrings and yeah, yeah. very sore chest for a little yeah, while, my yeah, very badly yeah, broken yeah. scaphoid, a scaphoid yeah. and, and a few other bits and pieces. Yeah. And, and, be, and being an independent uh, worker, obviously there was no workers' compensation or anybody you could sue. Uh, no, well, I sued the nightclub. Right. Because it was their fault. And what, what did they do? They went. They paid me out very quickly. I did <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting, isn't it? Two things in your life that have changed tra- trajectory one was you know the injury to your knee when you went from mm. sport to a music you know phase and then all of a sudden it changes again so what did you do next i moved overseas what I, you know, I with the money you went to spend the money overseas <laughs> absolutely yeah. i moved to sweden i lived in a place called malmo in, oh, in, i know malmo very cool city a very cool city have you been there too oh they've got a good punk scene oh, they these have. days yeah uh, i wasn't really. I wanted to spend most of my time in Copenhagen, and it's actually in Christiana. But, oh, uh, I've been there too. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. But yeah, and I was just, I was with a, a partner at the time, and we were. Yeah, it was just, a, and I was sort of doing. I wasn't really involved in the music scene at all. I'd had enough of it by then, <laughs> and was just um, basically trying to learn the language and and doing a bit of travel through Europe at the time. Yeah, but what language? Swedish or Danish? Uh, Svenska, uh, Swedish. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, because you're in. In Copenhagen most of the time. Well, yeah, but that was just for, yeah for fun. But yeah, it was just, it was also part of my visa conditions as a residency. You had to you had to do like you know go to school to learn the language. And oh, so, right. oh right, So yeah, yeah. So, yeah no, cool place, Mama. Yeah. Especially in you, winter. Why did you move there of all places? Um, I met a I met a woman, and. Um, and we got on quite well, and uh, yeah, and also the notion I just wanted to travel as well. Uh, I thought I'd had enough, and I thought it was time for a change. It's the and, da- um, downfall of all people. They meet a woman or a, a man or or a partner. It's the downfall, isn't it? You know, if you numbered the <coughs> number of people whose life has changed because they've met somebody, they're having a relation which with, it'd be unbelievable. And you're just another. It's common, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and did it last? No. <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask why. That's, no. that's rude. So, how long did you last in Europe? Uh, for that time, about that, that, that particular journey, about 18 months. What, the money ran out? No, I then moved to London. London? Mm. What for? Because I wanted to go to London. But what for? Um, to, because it wasn't, I mean, I was. 21 and oh, right. you know, and wanted to keep on travelling and oh. I hadn't been to London beforehand and there's a bit of family history in, in the UK there so I just wanted to you know go live in Earl's Court for a while. Like, so 1988 <laughs> you were in London? Oh no this was uh, 1991. 
1991. Yeah, yeah it was pretty know. boring time in London in 1991. Not really. Oh, well, what, what was happening? Um, okay. Apart from the IRA bombing post. Well, that was actually, yeah, <laughs> I was actually there for the, well, the last bomb. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so, uh, but um, it was just, um, I don't know, fun. I, I mean, there was lots of music that I, was, that I enjoyed. There was lots of, you know, great Australian bands were over at the time. And it was just, for me, a, a sort of um, a nice change in, 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 in environment and culture. And, you know, and I just wanted to keep on moving at the time. It was just... Yeah, uh, like I'm I sure your mother... I be static. I'm sure your mother's still disappointed at you. So when, when did your life change? When did you decide that you re- needed a real job? Actually, when I got back to Australia and um, I... <laughs> Met another human being another. <laughs> who happened to be a woman, right? <laughs> and um, she convinced me to go back to school again oh. and do my senior again. Cause, I um, think that's the best advice you've ever had. Yeah, it was. And uh, so I did my senior again in like two years, mm-hmm. did particularly well, and walked into University of Queensland, and that's when everything sort of changed. My old alma mater. Oh, really? No, oh, well, my original alma mater. Right. University of Queensland, mm. 1970 to 1975. Now, obviously, you went to the University of Queensland and it was quite boring in the mid-90s. I started there in 95 and it was far from boring. It was just wonderful. Wonderful? I loved it. it was, as I said, it, changed, it was just... What was, what, what's so great about the St. Lucia campus? Um, my teachers. Uh, um, what subject? What, what were you doing? Um, well, I originally started off doing um, a sort of very tame arts degree. Mm-hmm. And then I heard about this wonderful course um, called Indigen- Introduction to Indigenous Studies. Right. And uh, I'll never forget it as long as I live. I walked into this particular class on a Tuesday afternoon and there was this gentleman there by the name of Michael Williams who st- stood about six foot five or six foot six and he just told this story of Australian history that I was completely ignorant of, which mm. is the Aboriginal tribe, like the real history mm. of what went down. And I went back to my partner at the time and said, I know what I'm going to do. And so I went back to uni the next day, changed into a double major in anthro and... Um, anthro, what's anthropolo- that? Sorry, anthropology. Right. Right. And um, yeah, sort of, uh, sort of went on that tra- trajectory for um, the, the next until two thousand and yeah, f- that was ninety five. Was there for s- not seven years? Why seven years? Did you do well, a master's and a doctorate? Or? No, I did my undergraduate, then right. honours, and I started a PhD. You tell me, did you finish your PhD? No, I quit it because I didn't want to be a cultural thief anymore. Ah, tell us about cultural theft. Well, I, I was. Um, Doing a certain topic, it was um, it was um, cultural change through incarceration, and I was beginning my research and had, you know I had a wonderful supervisor, a guy called David Heinemann, who you may know of. Um, he was just he was a big part of my you know <laughs> my life, and uh, working out of the Mickey Building, and I was making all these contacts up up in up in you know, Cape York and whatnot, right. and, and just mm-hmm. talk, and I just thought, hang on, this isn't right for me to do. This is I'm, I I just can't do this. You know what am I actually going to give these people? How about I actually try and work with them, for, like for change, rather than observe and put my gaze on them and take away and mm. you know become another academic. Yeah. And I just didn't want to do that, so I quit. And mm. um, this job for the Aboriginal Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission came up. So I applied for that, and I got into that. What, what was the job? I was just, it was a junior policy officer. So what does that what did that entail? 
I work for the, this organisation, a part of, the, of ATSIC called the Min Rivers Regional Council, mm-hmm. and um, this wonderful organisation that was that ran from uh, basically from let's say Gosford all the way to Tweed Heads with the um, Great Dividing Range as our boundary, and all the mobs in there mm-hmm. were, were represented by this particular mini, by the, the Min Rivers Regional Council. Mm-hmm. So I used to work very closely with the council, um, supporting their meetings, um, developing their policy documents, um, helping them go through submissions for funding and things like that. And it was a brilliant time. The, the first few years of, of that were before government changes came in, which is mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting area. A lot of people don't understand. Not only were the, the, uh, the First Nations people, there's also all the uh, descendants of the South Sea Islanders, Vanuatuans and Solomon Islands who were blackbirded at the, at the end of the 19th century and there's a big population there. Do you know why there's a big population there? Up, You're an anthropologist, you should know this. No, up more around Bundaberg, up in northern Queensland? No, 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 further down, Tweed Heads and all around there. Right, no, I'm, no, sorry. It was interesting, when, when the White Australia policy came in in 1901, right. legislation was passed to uh, deport uh, South Sea Islanders who'd basically bonded labourers who'd been here 20 or 30 years and over right. 30,000 were deported back to the Pacific. Right. But if you could cross the border and get into... Because uh, you can get into New South Wales, they didn't actually have any laws in place to deport people. So a lot of South Sea Islanders crossed the border and made their home around the Tweed area and further south in the sugarcane plantations where they were used as, um, you know, cheap labour. Mm-hmm. I do recall that from my Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating history. Mm-hmm. That, uh... mm-hmm. I think Welcome to Country is a very dangerous concept and initiative. I really don't know where Welcome to Country even merged from. I know that I don't think it was a, obviously an Aboriginal initiative. I think obviously governments had uh, introduced that as they were pacifying our flag of resistance. You know, the idealism that lies behind that, obviously, is so that white people can feel a sense that they're more guests and they've got a right of ownership and to be here. If we're going to continuously welcome them to country, what that does, it rectitudes the fact of the moral racism issues in which they perpetrate against our people. Because how can we be talking about all these other issues and then compromise a hypocrisy in our own selves to welcome these murderers and these uh, slave traders and this barbaric sense of what they've done to occupy Australia on one hand and, and welcome them on the other? You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Three CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. Three CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers, and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at Three CR. To find out more, go to three cr.org.au and get in touch. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. 
This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. But let's get back. So how long did you last there? Uh, with ASIC. Yeah. Um, I left ASIC. I started in 2002 mm. and left in about 2008. Right. You should have seen. You didn't go overseas with the money you saved, did you? I did go overseas. <laughs> <actually. laughs> not, not back to Sweden. <laughs> no, to the UK. Back to the UK. Back to the UK. What, you were pulling beers at the pub, were you? Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, I was um, moved on from that sort of thing. I um, No, it was really quite strange. By the, by the time I'd left... I, because you know, the, of the history of ATSIC, um, by the time I'd uh, gone through, well, the organisation had been basically decommissioned That's around right. 2005. Mm. And we went through that many name changes. We woke up one, we went to sleep one day as ATSIC, woke up the next day of the Office of Indigenous Policy Coordination. Then the Department of Immigration, what was it? Um, DIMIA, Department of Immigration, Multicultural Affairs and Aboriginal Affairs. And then I was offered a job working for Attorney General up mm-hmm. in Cape York. Mm-hmm. And because um, at the time, AG Attorney Generals didn't have a representative up there running in the whole of Cape York, um, working with the uh, Indigenous Law and Justice Groups. So I moved up there to do that. And, uh, yeah, after a little while there, I ran into a particular person in Port Douglas and ended up moving to London. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> Not again. You were, oh, yeah, I'm you were, I mean, I'm going to be polite. You were led by your nose. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be very polite. So how long did you last in the old dart? Uh, Twelve years. What? From 2008? Until... Dis- 2020? Until, um, yeah, not, yeah. Don't tell me it was the disintegration of your relationship which brought you back to Australia. No, it was sort of... It was um, Brexit, actually. And um, the, uh, no, sort of both. It was like yeah, the, the the divorce, the and, divorce, uh, and um, I had to get rid of my business that, that I established. What, what was your business? I ironically, had set up a um, an econ business specialising in top end pet food. Because what's can, wrong with that? Um, well, nothing. I mean, <laughs> we loved our dogs, um, and, and we couldn't buy any decent food for our German shepherds. So, um, but it was very far from anthropology, and I right. sort of, I had my, I just. I really didn't enjoy it that much. It was just far too much hard work. Uh-huh. And um, it just wasn't... And after all that hard work and then they voted for Brexit, I knew, you just knew what was coming because um, most of my customers were in Europe and whatnot. So um, right. I thought, no, it's time for time to get back. And my mother was was actually getting quite unwell as well. So, right, right. Um, and I needed to yeah. help out the family a little bit. Uh, why do you... Was it... Um, why do you think people voted for Brexit? Is it just about... You know, being self-contained, or was it more of a racist response? Or? The, um, Boris Johnson's lies, mm. um, that they were spending £350 million, you know, or sending £350 million quid per week to the to the EU, when we could, they could put that into the NHS, oh, or the right. National Health Service. And they drove around London, you know, the UK in this bus, you know, telling this absolutely pop. It's, yeah. So, so that was pre-Trump. Johnson was pre or the same time. Yeah, no, pre-Trump. Poor man Trump. Yeah, yeah, poor man Trump, yeah. But, um, <laughs> he, but, yeah, and because, you know, the funny thing about, I just don't get it, I mean, because they have this funny, they sort of still doff the hats of people who go to eat and who went to eat and things like that. Oh, did and, they? Oh. And, oh. Um, I mean, actually, he might speak a few few languages and he, he can recite Iliad. Uh-huh. But, I mean, so it's, it's this 
it was, I mean, it was a, it was a, a opportunity for the yeah for racist people to put their hands up. It's like, I mean, it's like when One Nation finally like turned up in, in the 90s in Australia, yes. we could finally identify these people. Yes. You know, and it's like with Brexit, um, all of a sudden, 51% of the country mm. held these ridiculous beliefs about, you know, the, the, the Polish people are taking our jobs and mm. the French people are taking our jobs. And so they, we woke up on, on, on a Tuesday night, we all went to vote, then we woke up on a Wednesday and the whole, everything had changed. Everything had changed. It was a, do you think, do you think uh, Great Britain... I'm saying that facetiously. Will ever be great again after that uh, decision? Was it ever? Um, well, they're a great empire in oh, terms yeah, of exploitation, yeah. colonisation. That's, that's what I mean. Yes, know, yes, never great. Yeah, they're not great. In, <laughs> I mean, just great. In terms um, no, I mean, I think well, they've just like, they've sort of cut their nose off to spite their face. You think so? And I mean, the fact that now that you know they have this the. Their access to the EU is, is gone. I mean, the, the, the red tape of getting commodities in and out of the EU would be across the across the borders into you know, even just as Northern Ireland or even into into Ireland. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And so, but in that regard, I mean, unless they you know change you know tariff regulations, then no. But I mean, but I mean, they've just sort of gone backwards in my eyes. They've just as they've just you know lost so much you know potential as, as mm. a nation, as a nation state, and. Uh, it's a sort of sad, it's, so it's you, really sad to watch actually yeah, to wake you, up to. Well, you can't decide Friday night you're going to go to Paris anymore and get on the plane or get on the tube and go to Paris. Um, well, you can, but you know whether you're actually going to get there or not is another story. story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why and, whether, is that? and whether your luggage is going to turn up because whether you know visas yeah. and now that they've actually got to pay for visas. Yeah. I mean, there's no automatic entry. It's more like the red passport's gone. Yeah. You know, the first thing they brought in was a blue passport. Yeah. I mean, it was just you know like the good old days and. <laughs> And uh, it's just that whole, you know, the, the ease of being a part of the European community is just gone. So they're back to being an isolated, like, an isolated country rather than part of a, a greater community. And that, to me, it, it's just so all that ease of travel and has been, you know, diminished. And mm. you've know. gave me an idea. What's that? Remember the good old days in inverted commas before you were born or after you were born, just after you were born. But we had the ten. Pound POM syndrome. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we need like, like Tony Abbott. Yeah, <laughs> a ten pound POM. We we would we would pay for their fare and they had mm. to stay here for two years. Mm-hmm. Now, as your country people cannot go to Europe easily, why don't we? Inter- and we need skilled labour and unskilled labour in inverted commas. Why don't we reinstitute the ten pound POM program and fly them across because they all want to escape, like you. Well, I think I'm done with my escapism, but um, I, I know we have a lot of people in this country now who have been dislocated and, and rehomed because of, um, of what's happened in, in, in war-torn countries who have got mm. wonderful skills, mm. which, are, which are still being marginalised and have no, they have no real, des- no real defined destiny. Mm. And, and so that's a, a resource we, we need to support. And, and, well, you, don't, and, you don't want to reintroduce the 10 pound POM program to save your brothers and sisters in Great Britain. I don't have any brothers and sisters. Really. <laughs> I mean, I'm just two dogs. That <laughs> two dogs. <laughs> you left your Alsatians behind. Uh, yeah, well, they, you know, they're a, bit, a little bit expensive to bring back. Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. Even though I know they're in very good hands anyway, so oh, they're right. in well, actually they, very, very good they hands. They didn't go to one of those places where they never come out. Oh, no, no, no. no. no right, with okay. my ex-wife. and uh, right. yeah, they're, <laughs> they're very, they're very, very well part, looked after. It was part of the divorce <laughs> settlement, was it? She gets the Alsatian dogs, you get the debts. 
pretty much, you know. <laughs> yeah. now, I was interested in your business. I'm really interested mm. because, you know, you set up this business mm. and you said most of your customers were in Europe and you closed down because you knew that you wouldn't be able to service them. No, more. I didn't close it down. I sold it. You, you sold it to some idiot. Pretty much. Okay. You, you know the old saying here. Do you remember, you remember Bond? Alan and Bond. Pac- and Packer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Channel, channel, was it Channel 10? Or? Yeah, yeah, something like that. I forget. Yeah. Channel 9. Actually. Channel 9, yeah. yeah. He mm. bought it for a billion and then he, and Packer bought it back for 100 million. He said, you only get one Alan Bond in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Did you do an Alan Bond, did you? Did you find an Alan Bond in Great Britain and sold your pet business? More or less. <laughs> Didn't you feel any pangs of regret? Now that I get the occasional email, or I used to sometimes, like, <laughs> from them saying, <laughs> What have you done to me? Pretty much, but no, it's but it's like you know, I, you, know you needed a, a proper financial advisor rather than just you know. Okay, my books might have been good, but you know, yeah, um, didn't but think, you didn't see the future. Didn't you know? see Brexit. Yeah, you and, did. Yeah. Well, it was just so obvious what was going to happen next, you yeah. know. And they were talking yeah. about. I mean, that was part of their policies as well. I mean, yeah. that stopping all this and and. And it was just, it was just clear, and my my ex wife was a you know a, quite a smart barrister, and uh, not, not was still is, and so yeah we I mean she wasn't really my business partner but she was a good, very good advisor, mm. and so in that regard I had we had and we sat down over a nice glass of red and spoke about it and said no yeah, this, this, well, is, this is going to be uh, um, well, it's Michael, not going to end up well no yeah. well Michael. I can understand why she's got the Alsatian dogs and you've got the debts because <laughs> she's a very good barrister. Well, you know, she uh, still is. All right, so when you come back here, mm-hmm. are you footloose and fancy three or are you full of debt or are you full of regret? Or? Uh, probably more the former. Mm. About, you know, I'm not so much footloose and fancy free. My mother was doing early stage dementia and things like that, so I was based up in North New South Wales, and the family was sort of deciding and umming and ahhing how we're going to support her and look after her. And 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 she lives just outside Lismore, and then not long after that, Lismore was pretty much wiped out by a flood. flood. Mm. And so, and I've got a lot of Curie Murray mates up there, so I spent some time helping with. Um, the first after the first flood um, out of the Koori Mail Centre, and uh, then uh, I actually really wanted to move to Melbourne right. um, because I'm actually doing a master's at RMIT in, in logistics and supply chain, which came out of an interest in my, my old business. And right. I thought, hmm. you know, and then so, but so the footloose and fancy. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to, to decide whatever I wanted to do. And that was very. And once we got my mother sorted out and her care, you know, you know, n- you know, knuckle bolted down. Then, uh, yeah, the social worker said it's best for you guys. You've done your bit. You know, mm. we, we've got this. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm a bit concerned, Michael. Mm-hmm. Every time you've moved, it's been for a uh, hedonistic reason. Uh, <coughs> coming to Melbourne was that an intellectual choice or a hedonistic choice or a combination? It was. Intellectual. Um, two reasons. One, to be closer to my to my university, and I knew that there were great NGOs down here. And mm. one of my passions is I wanted to get back in, in a non-government organisation, right. and and be a, and and yeah, that's 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 the reason why. So, which non-government organisation have you ended up in? Uh, well, West Papua. West Papua. I mean, that's not a non-government I mean, organisation. It's a voluntary. a voluntary. You don't get you don't get no, paid no, there. No, no, I know we you don't better get, not no, get paid. Cause no, 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 Because no, no, I no. check the books. No, no, I get I get paid spiritually and emotionally. Uh, thank you. Uh, All right. no, 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 no. It's uh, so, so. So you're a human being of independent means. Yeah. Oh, congratulations! 
I'm 71 and I haven't reached that stage and Kelly's hasn't reached that stage either and she's 30 years younger. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you have done what every wage slave wants, financial independence. You can volunteer time, which is very important. You can study. Can I... Can I I'm going to have to take some tips off you after the after the program, mate. Dog food. Dog food. <laughs> A dog food. What was in your dog food? Not steroids, was it? No. No, no, no. no. It was all organic kangaroos, was uh, oh, it? No, it was actually organic venison. Was venison. Top, was our top-end one. And we also had we provided free nutritionist advice and that sort of thing. We were quite novel in our setup. Oh. And we were one of the first to do it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Organic uh, venison. And there's a lot of people with money that love their dogs these days, yeah. isn't the there? The Brits are crazy about their dogs. <sighs> and it, was just, it was at the time was right for it, and it just uh, went well. So. Yeah, congrats. A, yeah, congratulations. So how did you stumble on the West Papuan office? Oh, well, it was really weird. It was, no, it was actually wasn't really weird. Sorry, wrong words. Wrong words. I was actually on my way to uh, to my library at RMIT, walking down Swanson Street, mm-hmm. and out of the corner of my eye, I saw the the Morning Star flag. Right. And I hadn't seen it since I was at uni, uh, right. and and just what's well, in St Lucia. Um, yeah, huh. and but it's always been on my, on my mind. It's just something. It's always been a passion of mine. Uh, the, the, the most popular cause, and and I saw it, and I looked, and there was uh, there was Louise. And I f- forgot the other lady's name. Working at a stall there, mm. and um, outside the main, outside Melbourne Library. The Brett Library, that's right. Yeah, yeah the yeah, state and library. Louise was wearing her bonnet, and but, yeah, yeah. anyway, we walked over there and we just we started talking. And yeah, my sort of background, or my, um, I said, you know, I sort, yeah, my, my anthropology background came up, and also Louise and I, my mother and her share the share the same surname, and apparently come from the same, historically come from the same part of Ireland, mm. so. Um, Place, place in Southern Island, Southern Island called Wicklow. But uh, no, it's it more to the point. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just always been a passion of mine to get back into that, that sort of a field. I mean, and so I told him about my honours thesis that I wrote about the Human Genome Diversity Project and uh, my knowledge about certain um, behaviours of. Uh, of of the Indonesian government in West Papua when it comes to like the infected pigs they brought in in seventy one and tell us about that one. Oh, well, uh, back in nineteen seventy one, there was basically a gift of pigs to the I can't remember the name of which particular group it was, but they were it's they had they were infected with this particular type of tapeworm. Yes, and the tapeworm uh, it's it doesn't um, fully develop in the pig. Part of my lack of medical. Yeah, oh, it need, need, needs the human host exactly, which and, and goes into the liver and you know exactly. causes abscesses. Exactly, and yeah. once and and uh, the way that the most populars they just because it's a big part of their like, they carry the pig. That's right, very close contact. Well, yeah. it's a huge part of their economy, mm. and it was a, it was a gift apparently, and it was brought into the into the community initially, and uh, so. It, it, this particular thing, this it um, is a what's the word? It sort of just develops into from, into a, up to seven meter long tapeworm. That's right, in, in the human, in, the and human, in, in, yeah. in their brain, in their eyes, liver, in their, yeah. all through yeah. all through every organ in yeah, the body. It's, it's a horrible way to die. And people have these epileptic fits and rolling yeah. fires and whatnot. Yeah. And this is something my, my old mentor David Hyman yeah. told me back in, yes. in my, as an undergraduate. Mm. And so I remember having this chat with um, Louise at the time, and uh, um, yeah, and just and also about my honours thesis. <laughs> And things and about the human genome project across the border in Papua with the Hagahai. And so she said, Look, 
come down to the office and have a chat. And um, You realise you were born for this moment because there wasn't a partner involved. <laughs> there wasn't lightning involved, electrocution. There wasn't a fractured bone involved or torn ligaments. Of your own free will, you made a choice mm. to see what that West Papuan flag was and your life has changed. What month was that? When was that, last year? Oh, no, it was early, just after the... When was the was more floods? February. It was about a month. It was just after... It was just before the second big flood hit again. Right. So it was um, so you're March. A, so you're a newbie. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I did... Yeah. Uh, I've got to ask you... See, nobody listens to this program. That's, oh, that's and, good. And that's I'm good. telling that's you, it's not podcast either, so they can't check. That makes more Did Louise actually force you to come down here to talk to us today? No, she asked me to very politely and kindly, and, I, and, I, and whatever I can do for that organisation, I'll do. So. All right. so, so what do you do there now at the minute? Um, I'm sitting here talking to you. Well, that's that's and, irrelevant. Uh, yeah, um, what do you really do that's useful? Well, sort of, apparently I'm there as a policy officer. Policy <laughs> officer. So, yeah, but I'm yet to, to, to develop any policy because um, I was working on some, then I got COVID a couple of times. Um, but uh, helping with the, the day that's coming up on, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, be, I'll be there doing whatever capacity I can be. And there's a, a project we're working towards it, uh, for the end about... Um, some policy documents going to the UN about that's right. So working on that decolonisation, working on that one, yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's a fascinating idea. The office. Um, I assume you've never heard of that shadowy organisation, the West Papuan Rent Collective, have you? Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. Have you? All right, it's okay. Don't don't worry about them. They only they only pay the rent and oh, get yeah. people like you in employment. <laughs> you know, we pay you nothing, and you give us your expertise and time. Mm to do things. Now, it'll be a great day on Sunday. I mean, we've had... Uh, the office has now been open for eight years. The mm-hmm. Rent Collective has been paying the rent, and all we do, basically, is pay the rent. Every dollar that's donated to the Rent Collective goes into a special account, which I look at every month as the coordinator, and we don't dictate policy or anything. We just pay the rent to give the West Papua refugee community the ability to direct their own struggle. Obviously, they've got their own issues, but uh, that's not our problem. Our problem is to ensure that the office is there because um, there's very few offices around the world mm. for West Papua Independence, very few. Mm. I just found it fascinating that yesterday we had the uh, Weigel report from the United Nations about human rights violations in Sichuan province, which is all very well, but we've never seen a, a United Nations report come out of West Papua, although the the Indonesian government promised the United Nations access to West Papua and they've denied them access since then. I mean, the United Nations didn't go to Sichuan province to do their report, which was released yesterday, which was quite a harrowing report. They could do exactly the same thing, mm-hmm. but they haven't done it in West Papua. It's just extraordinary. Yeah, it, it is rather interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and isn't it interesting? You know, we're all interested in the Ukraine and all these business, which is understandable, but we've got this uh, ongoing genocide 70 kilometres from the uh, Australian border and we train their troops to con- you know, continue that policy. Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? Well, I mean, Australia is very proud of their, um, of their, uh, of their, of their military history as well mm. and the way that we talk about how the, how the Papuans supported their allies on the Kokoda Trail, for example, and yet... You know, on the other side of the border, we don't. The, what the what the West Papuans did for the Allies is never even. You know, people like Gough Whitlam, for example, who was who was who was stationed there, um, and this amazing stories that came out about the, what the what they have, uh, as 
as our allies, and yet there's just nothing anywhere. And no, it's nothing. It's no. it's, 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 a, it's a thick expunged out of our memory. Look, if you want to meet Michael or Sophie or any other members of the uh, West Papua office uh, who are working very hard to promote uh, West Papua independence, open invitation, doesn't cost anything. This Sunday, 1pm, West Papua office, 838 Collins Street. Come to the front door and then walk around the back, big meeting room out the back, uh, food preparation area, lunch at 1pm, 1 to 2pm, um, Members of the Rent Collective free, other people, donation gratefully accepted. And obviously there'll be hundreds there and hopefully we'll run out of food, which we normally do. And at two o'clock, the famous or infamous Sophie Chow, who's been blacklisted from Indonesia, will be there to uh, launch her book, In the Shadow of the Palms. Have you met Sophie in the flesh before? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. But I'm I'm halfway through her book and it's um, it's, the ethnography is just so beautiful. Mm. Her writing style is just just so rich and and engaging and it just tells a story that it's just, yeah, it's a beautiful way of of describing a rather... um, (laughs) <laughs> a horrible situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, but it's a very special book, yeah. and I'm really looking forward to meeting Sophie. And yeah. um, also, also looking forward to your chair auction. <laughs> oh, it's more than a chair auction. Yeah, so but I'll, Sophie's book is it'll mm. be forty dollars, and she'll sign it. That's correct. And yeah. We've got about forty-five. Well, not not yeah. me. The West Papua office got about forty-five books. So it's a great afternoon. You don't have to buy anything. Just turn up and mm-hmm. meet some fascinating people. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of boring people in Melbourne, but there are a few fascinating people, and they'll all be there. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the auction, there'll be two handmade recycled timber chairs, a side table and a small children's chair from uh, David McKenzie, the uh, great furniture maker. There will be a bag of goodies, handmade goodies, from Margaret the Maker, which I'll auction. There'll also be a hand rung hand-woven crocheted rug which has been hand-woven by the very famous 3CR Jan Bartlett who does the Tuesday Home Time program and I understand uh, I've been told there is a wall hanging from West Papua and a bark painting now if I can't raise 10 grand I'm a monkey's uncle I think you'll be right I'll be right so come along Please Come do. along. Please do. And uh, you won't believe this. The producer, the producer, Kelly Whitworth, mm-hmm. is thinking of coming along too she and bringing she, friends. She told me she would. Yeah. yeah, I think it would be a really good day. Yeah. Really good day. Yeah. And the fact that I went to her thing a few weeks ago, it's about time she went to something Reciprocity. Reciprocity, isn't that right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Look, Michael, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I hope we. Thank you. I hope the West Papua office has a long association with you. Obviously, you're a man with many talents. Uh, you've got a lot to give to the community, and it's a great to have you back in the country. Good to be here. And uh, England's, well, Great Britain's loss, our gain. And it's good that you're not going to be buried in Great Britain. I couldn't. It'd be terrible to think that you would die there and be left there to rot. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit disturbing. Yeah. But, but thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> no, really, you know. Fancy <laughs> <laughs> dying there and being buried. That die here cold. instead, Michael. Yes, I'll be repatriated if that happened. <laughs> what to Melmo in Sweden? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Michael. Pleasure. Wait. Ah, 
No crime, no time. Fix Victoria's bail laws now. Prisons are bursting at the seams with poor people. Istra Melbourne is calling on the Victorian government to release unsentenced people on remand from Victorian prisons. First Nations people are 3% of the population, yet represent 29% of the general prison population. 89% of First Nations women entering prison are unsentenced. Istra Melbourne is asking you to sign the No Crime, No Time petition, which can be found on Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.